Hi. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about some bonus content from Spotlight On. Head over to spotlightonpodcast.com slash blog and check out Bonus Tracks, the official blog of this podcast. There you'll find special material exclusive to the website, including music recommendations, artist interviews, essays, and more. Have a look. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today, the spotlight shines on Miss Sealine, a neo-soul singer, producer, and multi-instrumentalist based in Switzerland. Her music blends soul and groove with elements of hip-hop and jazz, resulting in a unique and memorable sound. Our conversation was memorable, too, and pairs well with the track I want you to stick around to listen to after our talk, her latest single, Intimately. Trust me, it will all make sense. Enjoy. Hey, how are you? I'm great, and you? I'm doing all right, thank you. Um, where are you today? Where are you in the world? I'm in the most creative space for me, in the studio, but not my personal studio. It's the studio at the campus where I study, the jazz campus in Basel. So this is where I have mostly created most of my songs in the last five years. Wow. So it's a familiar place to you. Very familiar place. In a quiet place, which I needed now. <laughs> <laughs> is the jazz campus, do you live there or is it a commuter school? How does that work? I kind of live here, but not like paying rent or so. It's just I'm all the time here. The cool thing is that the campus is available 24-7. Like we have a cart we can access day and night. Whenever we want, we can practice, we can record any time of the day, which is awesome. I'm living five minutes by foot from here, so I'm coming very often. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Besides your voice, what was your main instrument when you first started playing music? Actually, it was the piano and yeah. the cello. So my parents are classical musicians and my mom was my teacher since I'm, I don't know, five years old. I started piano. She taught me the violoncello because she's a violoncellist in the first place and then a pianist second. I grew up with classical music, studying classical piano and violoncello and took it very seriously as well. So it was a very important phase in my life, but also me as a musician in the early days. So that developed me in my musical career, I would say. What's it like having your mom as your music teacher? <laughs> yeah, I didn't dislike it necessarily. She's very strict. She's Russian. So she studied in Moscow. And it's wow. a very, we all know the Eastern Europe traditions when it comes to teaching. It's very rough studies. And she was a very strict teacher. But nevertheless, since she was my mom, she gave me the warmth at the same time. And I think if she wouldn't have been my teacher, she would have sent me to someone with more more roughness, which I'm glad I didn't get. <laughs> I'm glad she was there in the moments that like, I felt frustrated that she was being the mother then and not the teacher. So it was a very helpful development for me in music. I would say, it, I think it was a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And did you say both your parents are musicians? What, what about your dad? Yeah, my father is, uh, he plays viola. 
and violin. So he also studied classical music in Germany. He's a conductor as well, and he was a director of music school, so he's more on the administrative side. But he's still playing. They're still playing today together in a quartet, and they're still actively doing music, which is beautiful. Did your mother have other students? Was she a teacher by vocation? Yeah, yeah, she was. She's always been teaching since I know her. <laughs> you talk a little bit about the repertoire that you grew up learning, and specifically, what did you take away compositionally? I think classical music can be very repetitive. And now studying jazz, it's a very good thing to keep in mind to not make everything more complex as it is already. I grew up playing a lot of, you know, the classicals like Chopin, Debussy, Bach, Mozart, and Rachmaninoff, uh, Bartok, which is very abstract. A lot of music like that. And composers, they're improvisers. And, back in, and I realized that now that they're incredible, powerful minds who composed classical music and music like that. It's just, I take that a lot now in my composition process to get rid of boundaries and do what's new to me. Try to write down things I haven't heard before. Is Bach the greatest of all time? I have to say, I never really liked Bach. <laughs> <laughs> So many, so many writers and, and arrangers just point to him as, as just. I'm getting older and I started to realize how great he, he was. But for me, like thinking of Bach, like every time when I hear Bach, it's just technical for me, like technical practice all those years. And that was just annoying <laughs> that musically it didn't fill me up completely, but I do hear it now differently than before. Yeah. And I, I haven't listened back that much anymore since I stopped playing classical music. If I would listen back, I would see it completely differently now, for sure. Yeah, uh, I promise I won't stay here too much longer. But of the um, of the <laughs> classical canon, who who were your people? Like, was there anything you were particularly drawn to, or did, was classical more just about the study? Music wise, I love Rachmaninoff. I love like Russian composers. Nothing to do with me being Russian. I just love the romance, the romance, and this the heaviness and the sadness in a way like everything ends in minor or everything is in minor you know and i this is like so typical eastern europe i don't know but i i it love really is. <laughs> love the sadness and the heaviness and that like everything is so dramatic i love it i still do this a lot in my music like most of the music is super dramatic in a way so that probably shaped me a lot yeah I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but your comment makes me think of this, which is for anybody who is skeptical or doesn't believe that art and music can reflect its culture, I don't think you have to look much further than Russian composers to say this mood is a reflection of a national psyche almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you see your music through that lens? Like, what are you reflecting of your time or your culture or your environment, if anything? It's definitely a little bit of that, like the heaviness, even though I feel like I'm a very light person in terms of energetic and funny and a lot is happening in me, around me. I still feel very drawn to this heaviness in music, like the same thing that I feel in Black American music. Same thing that I feel in jazz, this heaviness and this feeling when like the blues and stuff like that. 
I don't know how much that is culturally or just some people are like that. Like some musicians are more on this side than others. I mean, when I listen to Miles, it's so much that I feel like I just love it. I love this bigger meaning and this depth in music. I take it very seriously, too. When I was listening to your music and watching some of the videos in preparation for our call, something that struck me was that there is a there's an earnestness and a sincerity in the music. There's nothing ironic. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely on purpose, I would say. Before, before we keep going, can you tell me a little bit about the transition period away from your classical studies and what came next? I always loved to sing. So I was always singing, but more of a... No, it was never really a hobby. I knew I wanted to sing, but I was playing piano and cello first. There's like different opinions on whether you should give a child vocal lessons or whether you just should leave it be and come back later to it because you can hurt the voice a lot if you're young and you're singing too much, whatever. You can make mistakes and there are many vocal teachers who might not give you what you need because the voice is vulnerable. So I was just singing always and that led me to this other phase. Like I didn't enjoy classical singing. So I was singing pop music, R&B. R&B was a big thing in my music, like what I really like to listen to. When I first got to hear Erica Badu, Lauren Hill, and D'Angelo Common, and rap, and hip-hop, and then I started to really dig deep into that genre. And that was what led me to jazz. And that was what led me to how I wanted to express myself being a musician. At this point, I knew it was the voice that I want to use as my main instrument. And I started writing songs when I was 12. So this was helping me. So it was really just classical music, still training, doing a lot of that, and then listening to hip hop and R&B. So that made me switch to jazz. That made me go to that world. Did your parents have a view or did they have a view on your interest in popular music? Like, do they like popular music? My mom really does. Like my mom, I remember... We both would just dance and sing to Michael Jackson all the time. Michael Jackson was an artist she really admired a lot. So she understood. She wasn't really feeling hip-hop that much. <laughs> I think that's very far from classical music in, in, in the conservative sense. You can still put all in a box at some point, but that was really far from her. And rap, it was for her like a gangster thing that she wouldn't understand why I explained her many times and when she got to know my music, she took it very seriously. She respected it a lot and she was happy that I was writing and composing and she was just happy that I was doing music. I think I was very lucky to have parents who would support me in what I was doing, no matter what I was doing musically. Really, they were just happy I was doing music. <laughs> so they were happy yeah. being creative, letting it out in a way. And like, yeah, now reading my lyrics, they really love it. And my mom actually recently, she wrote me a text when I uh, was about to release this new album and the new single and everything. And she, it was very, a very beautiful moment because she wrote me that she's a teacher in a new school now. And so she's surrounded by younger people, like teenagers. And so she's being introduced to the new modern 
world of hip hop and pop and stuff like that. And she wrote me, since I'm in the school and I'm surrounded by, by all this new music, I, I really understand you more. And I, I love what you're doing and I respect it so much. And that was like, I don't know, it was cool to hear because she's really still curious about new things. That, and that's not necessarily normal for her age or, or for classical musicians generally, that they're open other music. So I think I'm very lucky to have parents that are open to that, or at yeah. least they learned how to be open to that as well. You know, you mentioned that they still perform together in a quartet. Do they play the music of any modern composers or are they focused on a particular era or canon? That's a good question. I'm not so sure I actually know that much. I know that they are performing new music. Yeah. They're also digging in archives in composers who have never been released their music due to whatever reason, they died before it or whatever. So I know that they recently played a, a piece by a Swiss composer who died before he could publish his first work and they found wow. it in art and stuff like that. So they do interesting stuff. You know, so you use the word conservative in a different context. And I was curious as to how rigidly they drew the line around repertoire. That's all. It's, it's a fascinating, just the way people debate what's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I have this image now of 12 year old you sitting down to write and compose. What does that look like? Were you sitting at the piano? Were you already using technology? What were these things you were composing? How do you now look back? Were they legitimate songs? The thing was, I learned English by listening to rap. My first language is German, obviously. I'm not a native English speaker, but I wrote my first lyrics in English because I was just listening to American hip hop and that was all I listened to. So I learned English by hearing rap. And that's how I wrote my first rap. And so it looked like that. I would sit on the couch um, in my parents' place, obviously, listening with my iPod to these songs. And then I would go and translate what I'm thinking in English with the internet and then just look for rhymes. I mean, at this point, I didn't have a vocabulary of creating rhymes, right? So I had to learn English and learn rhyme vocabulary. So it was both at the same time. It was like puzzle, like putting words together, trying to make sense out of it, just trying to create something. And that was my first lyric introduction of myself. I was just like telling who I am, you know, the typical kind of, yeah, beginning era where you're just like, hello, I'm a sea lion and this is what I do and da 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 the intro rap. Yeah, the intro rap. Definitely. It was my first lyric. <laughs> so classic, but I love classic. it. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So funny. But it, it's really, yeah. And somehow, and then slowly I start to build up. So that was it. And recording my first track, I was using GarageBand. Yeah, that's yeah. legit. It's <laughs> not that bad, you know. I mean, for what I did, like some random beats from like instrumentals, like free instrumentals stuff to start somehow. And then recording with a, I don't know, $30, $30 condenser mic. Super whack, but it worked for that time. It was fun. Something that strikes me is the ease with which you move between singing and rapping. How early in your development did you find your flow? Did you have a style? Did you work at it? I guess I'm, 
I am asking you to sort of disassemble your yourself a little bit, but there's something so fascinating about a non-American being so drawn to this sort of quintessential American art form. I appreciate we're way past that now. You know, we're a generation into it being a global art form. But I am curious about how people find their voice generally and how intentional did you have to be? Did you explore? Did you pick up different personas and put them down? Or So when it comes to rap, it took me a long time. I'm still finding, like, I remember started writing with 12, then like just doing it for fun and stuff like that. And with 17, 18, 19, maybe I really started to get my flow or it's the tone of the voice that I was never sure how am I going to use it. Because also, what character am I going to choose to be in my music? Yeah. So it was, it was also a question of who am I, right? Am I going to be the energetic rapper? Am I going to be like the Bahamadia style kind of rapper? And also for me, it was um, there were not so many female rappers I knew. So I didn't know how to act as a female rapper. And I was always acting as a male rapper. It was mm -hmm. like the tone of the voice would be more male and more uh, uh, like more pressure on my voice and stuff like that. But I learned a lot about flow and phrasing, obviously, from doesn't matter female or male, but it mattered to me in, in terms of how high and low, the pitch of my voice, the tone of my voice, how am I going to use it? So I was just trying out different stuff. What I really like is being on the more chill side when it comes to rap. But lately, I'm trying to explore my more energetic side in rap as well. So I'm now on a new path, finding my voice with more higher energetic rap and lyrically being more dominant and more forcing. And so there's another side coming out of me in a way. I feel that something new is coming. And now I'm again in a phase where I'm trying to combine these two and, and trying to find a way. So. I'm still developing. Who would be your, I don't want to say your role models, but who do you particularly admire both for their lyricism as well as their technical flow? Common, Mos Def, Lauren Hill, Fugees, Bahamem Dia, Kendrick Lamar. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The roots of your influence sound like they're firmly in the neo-soul movement. Yeah, definitely. I don't know what it is. I think it's just the vibrations of the music that really vibrate a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to piece timelines together retrospectively, but it's also, I guess, where like vulnerability became more mainstream in rap mm -hmm. and hip hop and less of something to try to take out of the music and something that it was okay to bring into the music in a more deep way. That's how it feels. Yeah. We'll be back with more Spotlight On right after this break. Bonus Tracks, the official blog of Spotlight On, is currently accepting submissions for reviews and opinion pieces related to the topics we cover in the podcast. We're looking for engaging, insightful, and well-written articles that offer critical analysis and thoughtful commentary on various aspects of music. To learn more, visit SpotlightOnPodcast.com and click on Call for Submissions. Thanks. And now, back to Spotlight On. In your classical education or when you moved into jazz studies, 
what role, if any, did transcription and transcribing solos and things like that play for you? Unconsciously, I think it was a big role. Like, I think I transcribed all the time. We all do that with covering people. Like, when we do covers and we sing the song, there's a stage that you can, after, like, you cover and then you make it your own song, but or you just cover and try to copy it to learn, to get more knowledge and technique and stuff like that. So for me, it was most of the time just that when I did covers. Beyonce was a huge part for vocal techniques and stuff like that. I mean, her range is enormous. And I learned a lot just from listening to different recordings of Beyonce. And in jazz, the language, of course, transcription is a huge part of in the jazz world. Doing transcriptions all the time. And I had to do it as well for the studies a lot. And it gave me the ability to be flexible with what I want to say and how I want to express myself being a singer and a vocalist, like not only as a lyricist, it was super important. I think it is super important to do that. The more knowledge you have, it probably will bring you closer to what you want. It's just a matter of the language. If you know a language very well, then you can say whatever you want to say. And it makes it easier, maybe for your message and for your persona to come through in your music better, maybe. Also, what I was hearing in what you said was that there was, I hope I say it back to you correctly, but an element of figuring out how to do what someone else is doing. So you hear them do something, you say, how did they accomplish that? And so you have to go back and go through their steps, basically. Yeah, yeah. Something that's very striking to me about what you do is my perception, at least, is that you're capable of being very self-contained. So multi-instrumentalist, singer, rapper, but also you seem to be very proficient with the technology, the technological needs of what you do. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the role of technology and if, in fact, do you make an entire album by yourself? Do you need collaborators? What's your view on collaboration? If you can just pick up any of those themes, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say. So the last album, Surreal, I did myself. I did all the beats. I did all the vocal productions, lyrics, and the mix. The only thing I didn't do was to master it, but the whole process I did myself, and it took me three years. And <laughs> right, this is a very important topic to me right now because this new project, Missilan and the Rabbits, I didn't create it all by myself. I already know that I'm struggling with taking the credits for myself. Mm -hmm. It's not my project. It's our thing and I love that it's our... Well, I basically realized that it's stupid to do everything by yourself even though I just did it for this whole time. I did everything myself. I taught production... I told myself beat making, all the vocal production, the recording techniques, mixing, whatever. Because mostly money was the problem. I cannot just afford anyone to just do my productions for myself. Plus, I was, I'm not making money with it either. So <laughs> not yet, but it's so that was mainly the reason why, why I did everything myself. But I realized now that we did this project together that I really miss other opinion. I miss mm -hmm to work with people because it brings me so much closer to what I always dreamed of doing musically. It's impossible for me to play the drums like a drummer. It's, I cannot play the bass like a bassist. 
I, I can imitate what I need and what I want, but I cannot make the whole production work. I realized the product is just much more me when I do it with people. I don't know. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> I thought all this time that, that I just have to do it by myself because I need to know everything and that I can only reach my bigger potential if I'm reaching it alone by myself. But I'm realizing now that this is not the case and that the project that we now created is much more me because I could focus on being the artist and I could focus on me needing what I need to say and what I want to say. So it's a big discussion in my brain <laughs> for myself right now. I still love to produce. I'm still a producer and I see myself still as a producer as well. It's also still important to me that I develop those skills too in order to maybe also do productions for others. I would also love to do that. But I realized that I don't want to do everything by myself anymore. That's something I just choose. I don't want that anymore. Yeah. But it's good to have the knowledge and it's good to know what you're doing, know what you want. I'm also doing live sound for concerts and I'm working as a live sound engineer. And it's good for me to know on stage how I'm going to sound outside. So just knowing your equipment, knowing your skills and makes you more aware of everything else. It's incredibly ambitious <laughs> and uh, almost comically well-rounded to read the list of things that I suppose you'd be capable of doing now is <laughs> maybe you should get into catering and driving the tour bus as well. <laughs> I should do that too, yeah. Oh. You'll never be out of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, never. <laughs> but you do foresee a time or aspire to a time when you might apply your production skills on behalf of another artist? Yeah. I love, I love giving my input, but I also love being part of a process that I can help creating. Because I believe I have ideas and I believe I have something to give in to the table. So as I'm realizing that I'm happy with help from others bringing me something to my table. I'm realizing that it might be nice for me to do the same thing for others. So that's a beautiful thing to share that experience. In the yeah. How much of the current project is live musicians? And when you record with live musicians, are you going directly into the box or are you miking a room? Like, how do, I'm sort of curious about some of the technical underpinnings. Normally, it's just elements that I'm going to record. So I'll tell a friend of mine to just play this bass line in for this specific beat that I've created. Or I'll tell a drummer to just overdub some hi-hats or some snares, some snare samples, or like a, just some toms for the whole drum vibe feeling to produce it later on better, to have a whole thicker sound. Or... As with the Missilan and the Rabbits case, we went to the studio for a week to produce the whole album in a week. And then we just only recorded live instruments. But that, that was also like the aesthetic of the album is like this live aesthetic of be, everything being played right now in the studio. And it's recorded and it's a statement and it's there. We don't change. We didn't really edit anything, just the vocals. Wow. So the arrangements, they're fixed and that's how we did them and it was very jazz-based recording session, but with vocal production space somehow. 
but that's not how I normally work because we don't do recordings every week like that. It's so exhausting. So yeah, normally I just produce in my laptop with stuff that I have at home. And I had the privilege still in the studio, like I'm finishing my master this year. So I have the privilege until August to be in the studio. And then I'll have to see where I get a studio. So that's mm. my current life situation. When you say that type of recording is exhausting, mm-hmm. what about it is exhausting? I guess it's really just what I've experienced now with the last recording. I gave everything. It felt like a three years work in one week compressed. It, it, yeah, I was super exhausted. Every day, like 12 to 14 hours in a studio and four or five days straight and just focusing and doing music, developing. I wrote all the lyrics in this week. I wrote all the, we wrote all the songs in that week and everything was created on the spot. So that's, it's a lot of pressure having to focus right now and uh, trying to dig very deep and to get it all out in this compressed amount of time without time to heal or to rest Mm. so it was very compact and dense and that was very intense but I think we passed a time all of us (laughs) we were so exhausted that something happened after that line and from then on we would create stuff we would have never imagined creating being conscious with it because we were so high from all this adrenaline and all these emotions and all the work and being so overworked that something happened after that that we probably won't remember somehow because it was just happening and then so much was created i don't know where these ideas came from it was really just something took over so that was being this medium for that is exhausting Studio times are very vulnerable times for many artists. So people don't really talk about it a lot, I think. We don't really know how Erika Badu is working in the studio because probably you'd rather not film these moments because they're so precious. But like, I don't know how other artists, how often they really go to the studio and like how they really work. But I couldn't do it every week. I could maybe do it every half a year or a year. And once a year would be already enough. So, yeah. I know a lot of artists don't like to talk about it or think they don't like to talk about it, but when they start to talk about it, it, it they actually find it interesting. Yeah. But also yeah. the piece about documenting it, that's always very interesting because the complete, let's call it a 10 or 12 song album, that's the work of art. That's the statement. The rest is like, you know, it would be like watching somebody paint or make a mosaic i think as a spectator you might find it fascinating but the artist doesn't really want you in their process and seeing the things they throw away and don't use and it's really fascinating it's a part of for me as a fan as a listener as someone who does this i find the process endlessly fascinating but i'm always self-conscious asking artists to talk about it because some just don't want to i would have sometimes liked to know more about the process of other artists to know yeah. how to do it as well. Like if you're in a studio the first time, like how do you work? How do you, what's the process? How do you start writing? And you all got to figure it out by yourself eventually, I guess. But 
I also think it's very interesting and I would love to talk to others about this too. But yeah, I'm also, I also respect if that's not the place to talk about. I don't know. Maybe also the sense of not speaking out, not talking about precious moments to make them unprecious in a way if you talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's intimate. It's an intimate environment. Yeah. So tell me a little more about the new album. So how long in time is it between when you're done, you hand it to somebody to master it, and the public gets to hear it? So recorded, was it in September 2022 for a week? The next four months until the end of January, I worked on a post-production. So during that time, I recorded backings, choir stuff, overdubs of maybe some electronic sounds, did some sound design and stuff like that. I worked on all the vocal arrangements, post-production of the whole album. I handed it to the mix. During the mix, I was still there to check in. But I think it was probably like beginning March, it was done. Will, will there be a physical release or are you, do you only do streaming? No, there won't be a physical release. We only do streaming because... Economics? Yeah. I'm perceiving that you would like to hold a physical copy, is that correct? Yeah. I think that's the dream of making a record to actually hold it in your hands, no? That's a feeling. I don't know. I did that with my last album with the Surreal. And there was, especially that was the moment because I did everything myself and then I was holding it in my hands. I was like, wow, this is best feeling, one of the best feelings in the world. So I'm a bit sad we are not making this happen, but I know it's it's not worth it and it's for the best. And maybe... I don't know if people do that, but maybe if the request is there, we can still print, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> what role does live performance play for you, given how much production work you do on your projects? Live performing is what I live for. It's what I really love most. The moment I can really present my work. Mm. So I love to do my work and then being on stage it's when i'm able to release it to talk about it to bring it closer to people my way of promotion as well i mean it's where i can be in exchange with people and in direct exchange i see reactions i can talk with them and i get closer to people and and i love being on stage i love performing and i love i don't know i just love it so much it's definitely why I do productions in the first place. Will you perform with the Rabbids or like how, how will this album be presented? We want to play a couple of concerts, release tour. We have one release party. It's going to happen in October and 12th and the release of the album, the streaming release is on the 13th. So it's the day before the release. That's our main concert. If we can get more concerts, that's great. I personally, or we, see it as a one-time project. We want to really end it with this year. So mm. we're planning to play gigs next year or something. It's just this project and it was this phase and it's out there to stream. And we will have maybe a couple of concerts for the release. But we're not really planning on taking this project further. It's more of a 
capture of time and space when it was created. And I think it's also fine. We're all continuing doing music and I will do another album. And that's originally was our plan not to take it further. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in October, but so far, yeah. Are you still living in these songs or have you moved on to your next creative project? I'm still very much in these songs, to be honest. It was something so fresh and something so spontaneous. Like before that time in September, I haven't been writing songs since the last album, since 2020. So it was a very uncreative time for me the last two years, three years now. And that phase brought it all out. It was yeah. everything was compressed. Like, boom, this, this week was too much. I'm still realizing what I wrote and what, I'm, what I was creating. And I, I'm still in a place where I enjoy it very much still. I'm still listening to the album now, before it's even out. And I really love what we did and I love the music that we created. So I'm still very much present with that album, which is good also for the release because it's still with me. But I'm trying to work on new songs for next year already. And so far, this has not been going well. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm still in the release. I'm still there. And I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to think ahead. But it's not working. So I'm like, oh, my God. I don't know. We'll see this summer. <laughs> yeah. What was the period where you weren't able to create? What was that about? Was it the pandemic? Were you busy with other life? Like, what happened for you? I think I was just in a hole, like after this album that I created the last three years in the middle of my bachelor studies, then I finished my bachelor's, I finished this album, I worked so much on this and I learned so many new techniques and I learned so much that I think I just had an overload of informations. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I, I was just in a creative a very long blockade it was really sad because I still enjoy doing music and I play music but I just didn't know what to say what to write I think my problem was really or still is that I don't know what to say anymore since the last album it was a very weird phase until 2022 September but now again, I'm a little bit in the same phase. Not that bad, but like after 2022, 2020, yeah, everything was just vanishing somehow. Everything I, yeah, I think maybe I was a little depressed. I don't know. It was just a lot, this whole release. And I didn't know how to go back to finding my voice. So I didn't do any productions. I haven't released any songs of mine. I haven't created or really wrote any lyrics. Mm. It was just focusing my studies and doing a lot of jazz and a lot of features. I did some features, but it was nothing that came from me. Yeah. Does it worry you? Or do you have the confidence that it comes back? It does still worry me. And now I really want to create more again like since this bomb from September of everything came out I was like damn how did I have it in me like it was I was also 
impressed by myself and surprised at the same time that I'm capable of doing these things, but I need to find a way how, how I can let it out without there being so much pressure from outside or some pressure that I make myself. I think it's also a topic for me, like trying to be relaxed, just taking a little bit more time for myself and trying to find a way how to, uh, just how to be creative. Some people think that I can only be creative if I'm at the beach, you know, chilling, or like I can only relax when I'm away from where I work and stuff like that. But I mean, we have all been saying that, but at the end, it's, we know it's not true. We know it's, it's in our minds and we need to find a way for ourselves to be able to focus and to also take time and relax. And of course, sun and sea can help and beach and whatever, but yeah, I, I just need time to figure out how I can let my thoughts flow, but I'm working on it and it's a process and I guess part of it being is also just doing everything is not helping for my focus right so what we talked about before is like it's great to have all the knowledge but there's nothing that I really grab I feel because everything is ah, I'll do this and I do that and da, 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 but like nothing is really taking me there and I would love to just produce more and I would love to do songwriting and compose I would love to compose more and just perform and everything so I need to find a way to make that happen without doing everything at the same time do you think you could ever give over control of a project to a producer and where you would just write and perform yes and no I I, I mean I kind of do that with with collaborations and features but under my name I don't know because I see myself, I'm a bit afraid of, maybe I'm a little bit afraid that people take the lead or people take control over me. Like, maybe I'm also afraid of being labeled as the singer and vocalist rather than being the artist and the musician and the mind behind the work I do. That's also something I hear a lot of from Lady Gaga in interviews with her, like that she has this control, like she wants to be the creative mind as well of her things and her music. She doesn't want to be only the pretty face, you know? And I don't know if that's happening more with female artists, female musicians, but I feel that pressure a little bit that I need to prove myself not being only the singer. But... um I love being a musician. I love being an instrumentalist too. And I was an instrumentalist first. So it's important to me to keep that side as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing the whole album. It's very exciting. And I've, I've enjoyed what, I, what I've heard and I've enjoyed the, your previous work. So thank you very much for making time. Thank you so much for this nice interview. It was amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Sealine. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson, and our theme music is by Q-Burn's Abstract Message. For past episodes, web-only exclusives, to make a donation to support our production, and to join our mailing list, 
visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch. Here's Intimately, from Miss Sealine and the Rabbids. Oh,